0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today we're going to be having our third and final series on dying to ourselves and living the new life that Jesus has for us. And in this, in this podcast, we're going to be finding out exactly how we can know... If we are in fact dying to ourselves, what are some signs, some clues that show us that we're making progress towards dying to ourselves and beginning the new life that God has given us to live through the rebirth that's given to us through His Son and through His Holy Spirit? So listen in and be blessed. We're going to be starting our third part of our series on dying to our flesh or dying to ourselves which is a secret to living. And, um, you know, with every effort that you make, there's a reward. Every effort that you make in life, there's some kind of reward that comes with it. And today, the second part of our our message today is going to be about the reward of dying to yourself. Because there's a huge, huge reward. And I'm not going to do it any level of justice by dedicating just 10 or 15 minutes to it. But we need to know what it is. We need to know what it is. But first, uh, let's just kind of rehash what we've talked about the last two weeks just so that we all remember. Dying to self is dying to your old self. It's the part of you that you don't really like very much anyways. It's the part of you that tempts you, that gets you in trouble. Uh, We talked about that. The Bible calls that the flesh, the flesh. So when you hear us talking about the flesh, we're talking about the old self of us that needs to go. She's got to go. <laughs> He's got to go. we got to get rid of that old person. And we, we learned also that Jesus died so that we would die. And we need to remember that. Jesus dies to give us new life, but first is the death to our old self. And that's not a message that the world really likes to hear. Nobody likes to hear that they need to die to themselves. But guess what? That's what the gospel tells us. That's what Jesus preached. And if and if you make it to the other side and you've died to your old self, you start seeing the benefits of it, you say, you know what? That is spot on. I need to get rid of my old self. All right? So we talked about that. In fact, um, just to kind of put it all together in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, now, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, says this. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Your old self can't make it into heaven. <laughs> God doesn't want to save all of yourself. There's part of you that's got to go, and the new self that's that's reborn that God gives new life to, that you start living in, that has joy and peace and victory and and knows how to win its battles, that's the part of you that God is going to save. It says here, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, all right? And so there's a part of us that needs to die off, and that takes a lifetime, doesn't it? (laughs) I wish I could tell you, man, it's just like that, boom, you're done, no, no. It's a daily uh, event, a daily effort that we say, Jesus, I did it this morning. In fact, I was waking up this morning, totally distracted. Distraction is a sign of the flesh, by the way. How many of you are easily distracted? All right. I, that's my number one problem is my, my mind goes, flies off, you know, into the, into the stratosphere, thinking about crazy stuff. You know, the flesh gets distracted. But when you wake up in the morning, you say, all right, flesh, old self, you're on the cross with Jesus who died so that you would die. Now I can live a focused life. Don't you want a focused life? I do. I love being able to focus. Hey, God gives your new self focus and you start living in Jesus and this new self and you can focus. Huge benefit. So let's just start. Going through this last Sunday, and we're going to get into some really good stuff in December and some really, really good stuff in January. I won't tell you what it is, but I'm excited about it. But let's finish up here in Galatians 2. Now, this week, um, Galatians, we're going to be reading through Galatians. and the text that you get, you're going to see Galatians 1, Monday, Galatians 2, Tuesday, so on and so forth, all about this subject of of dying to the flesh and now living the new life that Jesus has for you. Let's start, though, in Galatians 2. Two verses 19 through 21 and let's see if we can get through this today it says for through the law I died to the law look at that just for a second through the law I died to the law well Steve I thought we were talking about the flesh well just hang tight with me all right we're, we're gonna tie all of this together But just let that digest that for a second. Through the law, I died to the law. What on earth is that talking about? All right, when we talk about the law in the the New Testament, often it's referring to, in essence, the Ten Commandments. So let's put that that into perspective. Through the Ten Commandments, I died to the Ten Commandments. What on earth does that mean? Well, we're going to get to that. Let's read on. And then it jumps right into what we've been talking about. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't live by trying to keep every commandment. I live by faith in God who's going to help me keep the commandments. So this is kind of a clue as to where we're going with all of this. He loved me and he gave himself to me. I do not set aside the grace of God. If righteousness could be gained by the law, by being a good person, then Christ died for nothing. Being a good person in the flesh is not going to get you to heaven. There's a lot of good people in this world that still need Jesus. And you can look at yourself in the mirror as well. And I'm jumping ahead of myself and say, you know what? I'm not that bad. I mean, come on. I didn't kill anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I I haven't cheated on my wife. I mean, I'm a decent person. You still need Jesus. We live our life by faith. And that's why you're sitting here today and why you might be listening online or to recording is because there's something in you that's telling you, I need more than just my own good self, because I know my own good self really ain't that good anyways. All right. Are you with me? So, so you know what? Let's do this. Let's look at the 10 commandments just super duper quick and let's see what purpose they serve because the 10 commandments, the law serves a purpose and we need to know what that purpose, but the purpose is not to get your salvation. You don't, you don't keep the 10 commandments to to earn your way to heaven. No, the Bible says very clearly here, you earn it. You don't, you don't earn it. You get there by faith in God. He's the one that helps you get there. So let's look at this. In Exodus 20, just run through them really quick so that we know what we're talking about. What are the Ten Commandments? Well, here's the first one. The first one is this. Don't have any other gods instead of God. I'm paraphrasing. If you look it up in X20, uh, Exodus 20, it looks a little bit different, but that's in essence what it's saying. It's saying, don't have any other gods instead of God. All right. We say what what gods? I mean, I don't have any little carved images that I bow down to in my house. I don't I don't have anything like that. So what are we talking about gods? Well, if you look in Colossians 3 5, and this is what I love about the Bible it there's always an explanation, a detailed explanation of what the Bible is talking about with examples. Okay, so in Colossians 3 5 it says put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Remember that word, that term, earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Evil desires, pretty broad category, right? (laughs) There's all kinds of things that could fit into there. And then it says greed, which is idolatry, which is having a God instead of God. So, what is idolatry? It's whatever comes from the earthly nature will become your God, all right? And, and, and the Ten Commandments, which were given from heaven to Moses to us, it says don't have anything that comes from the earthly nature more important than God Almighty. Don't replace him with these things, all right? All right. Now, the second command is interesting because it almost sounds the same. It almost sounds like a redundant command, but it actually isn't. It, it, in essence, it's telling us, and I didn't write it all up here, but, but, get, but bear with me. It's, it tells us basically don't make for yourselves any idols and don't worship these idols after you've made them. And what it's telling us is you need to worship God properly. There's a way that God wants to be worshiped. He doesn't want you to go up and, and sketch out a picture of what you think Jesus looks like and, and then worship that picture. He doesn't want you to craft a little, uh, little idol, if you will, and say, okay, I'm going to bow down to this, and this represents God. And, and he doesn't want you to conjure up in your mind different ways of worship. He gives a very prescribed way of worshiping him, and it's from the heart. It's from the soul. It's not an external. If you think coming to church is your worship, it isn't. Because worship is something that happens inside of you, in your mind, in your heart, and it's a soulful activity that you participate in. That's how God likes to be worshiped. In fact, he tells us in John 4:24, he tells us exactly how to worship. He says, God is spirit. Jesus explains this, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth, okay? What does it mean to worship God in truth? Well, it means genuinely, authentically, not putting on a big old scene, oh, I came to church, and I go to church once a week, and and I do this good thing and that good thing. That's hogwash, Soulful worship is what God wants. He wants a relationship with you where you hear his voice and, and he hears your voice and you're in communication with God. That's the worship that God wants. Let's race through the rest of the Ten Commandments, though. Don't you misuse the name of the Lord your God. Don't misuse it. Don't use it in vain. A lot of people say, oh, my God. I don't think God is very pleased when you say, oh my God, you're using his, more than his name, you're using his whole being in vain. Some people will use the name of Jesus Christ, which is shocking to me. You won't hear anybody say, uh, you know, Mohammed. No, nobody uses Muhammad's name in vain, all right? Not, nobody's going to use, uh, you know, Joseph Smith, you know? Nobody does that but for some reason people will take the name of Jesus Christ and use it blasphemously in in a curse if you will. That's nothing but Satan himself taking his arch enemy and trying to put your but use his name in vain, demean it, diminish it. The word, you know, using the name of Jesus Christ in the, in that respect is T- it 's terrifying <laughs> to quite honestly, when I hear people do that, it like ooh, it makes my skin crawl because the name of Jesus is the most powerful name in the universe, the name that saves us, the name that draws us gently into the presence of God Almighty, and when somebody uses the you know the g d word oh my word, that just that kills me it, it kills me absolutely, and i 'll have people at work sometimes. You know, slip up and use the F-bomb or say this or that. And but you know, oftentimes they'll say, Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm like, why? Why are they apologizing to me? (laughs) You have to apologize to me. Apologize to God. It's his name. But it says, Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now some people go in major extremes and they say, if you work at all on this day, you are you're offending God but I love what Jesus said. He explained this again in Mark two twenty. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us in Genesis in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Does God need rest? I don't think so, but he did it as an example to us because he created us to be able to rest at times to relax at times, to enjoy ourselves, to pick up a book and read, to watch a movie, to take a nap, to do something because our bodies need it. That's how God made us, all right? And so he created the Sabbath. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. The sixth one is don't murder, all right? And Jesus explained that in Matthew 5. He said, if you even get angry with somebody enough to hurt them, you've committed the sin of murder, so Jesus expanded. Jesus didn't come and shrink the Ten Commandments. He actually came and broadened them because he said, what's going on in your mind is just as bad as the behavior or actions you might take as a result of thinking something. All right? He said, and the seventh one is don't commit adultery. And again, in Matthew 5, Jesus explains that. He said, even if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery with them. So you've already sinned there. You've messed up with the Ten Commandments. The eighth one is don't steal. The ninth one is don't get false tef- testimony about your neighbor. In other words, don't lie about people. Don't gossip about people. Number 10 is don't covet what other people have. Don't, don't want. It's okay to look at someone. Wow, that's a cool car. Or, I love that house. Or man, it's a, that's a neat uh, you know shirt, cool shirt that you have on there. But if you covet it, it means I want it. <laughs> I want what you have. And I'm sure we've all kind of experienced that at a, at one time or another, but have I done all of these, or at least most of these, and I'm just talking to my, I I can't speak for you. All I can speak for is for me. And I want you to do the same thing. Do some soul searching as I'm, I'm, I'm describing what I am. I'll tell you, yep, I have, (laughs) I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed, but it's true. I have. And what that makes me is an idol-worshiping, blasphemous, Sabbath-desecrating, covetous, murderous, adulterous, cheating, lying gossip. That's me. (laughs) And I hate to say it, that's you as well. We've all all messed up terribly. We've broken the Ten Commandments. And so there's this verse, and and you know what? It condemns me to hell. God doesn't condemn me to hell. His law does. He has the law of cause and effect. You do this, this happens. You do this, this happens. He created this spiritual law that ultimately condemns me to hell. You know how many times I have to to mess up for this to apply to me? Just one time. One bad thought, one bad action, and I'm histo, man. I'm gone. (laughs) I'm over with, you know? So should we just close up shop and leave today because that's the end of the story? I mean, are we going to go out depressed? No. Here's the good news. Let's go back to Galatians 2. Remember I said through the law, through the Ten Commandments, I died to the Ten Commandments. Through the Ten Commandments, I died to the Ten Commandments. Well, how do I die to God's law that's condemning me? How does this work? Well, good news, let's just keep reading in Galatians because it explains it to us. In Galatians 3, verse 10, it says, For all those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Everybody who's, who tries to keep the Ten Commandments. Some people even make up their own Ten Commandments and somehow try to get there that way as well. Benjamin Franklin, for instance, he came up with his own little code of ethics. And, and one of them, the last one, this cracks me up, it says... You shouldn't, and I'm totally paraphrasing, but you shouldn't, you know, be unfaithful to those that you love sexually. You shouldn't be unfaithful very often. That was his deal because he was, he was a philanderer, man. He was sleeping around all the time. But that was his code of ethics. So he made up his own code of ethics. And as long as he kept that, he felt like he was earning his way into God's approval. But you can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. No human being can do it because, unfortunately, we're naturally sinful. We're naturally inclined to go the wrong direction. So it says here, anybody who's relying on these works is already cursed. They're already condemned. They're already not going to make it. Because it's written in the Bible, as quoted in Galatians, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do what? Everything written in the book of the law. Everything. I can't do it. It's too burdensome. I'm inept. I'm unable. Clearly, it says in verse 11, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. You know what? I don't know. That just makes me relax a little bit because then I'm like, okay. (laughs) No one. Clearly, and everything. These are, these are huge statements, huge words, is going to be justified before God. So, therefore, there must be some other way of pleasing God. Some other way of pleasing God. And it says, because the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. You know what? I'm going to stop relying on myself and what I can do and I'm going to go over here by faith and I'm going to start relying on God to help me. Isn't that good news? Over there in the flesh and the law and everything that I'm trying to do and pat myself, oh, that was a pretty good day. I only messed up three times instead of 20. You know, Over there, I'm not going to make it, but over here in faith in God, standing on the Lord Jesus Christ, on his shoulders and on the The sacrifice that he made on the cross for me and for you, I can make it. I can actually be justified just as if I never, ever did anything wrong. I can be justified through Jesus Christ. I'm getting out of the flesh. I'm getting out of that person that keeps trying to make things work and saying, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to stand in faith. It says the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. The law is a ruthless system that you can live by, whether it's the Ten Commandments or any set of rules and regulations. And let me tell you what, I don't get it, but every religion seems to degenerate into do's and don'ts. Have you ever noticed that? Every religion, Christianity, Catholicism, and then you get into all the sects and the the cults and all the made-up stuff, they're all just a bunch of stinking rules that nobody can do. (laughs) It's too hard, all right? But true Bible-based Christianity says, the only, only religion in the world that says, you know what, just rely on your God to help you. I don't know about you, I like that set of beliefs. And that set of beliefs has set me free like you wouldn't believe, and I bet it's done and is doing the same thing for you. Praise God. It says here, Christ redeemed us from that curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And if you study Islam, you find out that they say there's no way that Jesus died on the cross. There's no way because a, a good man would never be shamed or cursed the way that he did. But you know what? Jesus did become a curse for us. He did die on the cross. He took your place and my place. But part of us, he says, I don't want it to just take your place. I want you to get up here with me and die to your old self with me. I have made a way for you to get rid of your old self through my deaths. Because it says here, cursed. And this is from Deuteronomy, I believe, 6. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And Jesus was hung on a tree for us. He became a, per, a, a curse. And in Romans 8:1, 1, one of my all-time favorite scriptures of the whole Bible, it says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who get away from the law and all its requirements, and say, you know what? I'm going to come over to Jesus. Now, I acknowledge the Ten Commandments are important, but he's going to help me keep the Ten Commandments. And when I slip and fall, which I will, uh, he, his sacrifice is enough for me. And I can get back up and keep, keep moving ahead. There's no condemnation. So that's how I die to the law, <laughs> because Jesus paid the price of the law for me. Does that make sense? I hope everybody's understanding and comprehending this. This is a blessing, huge blessing to us. So to justify yourself by good works of your flesh or the law, it's just to live over here. And you don't want to do that. That means your flesh is still in control. But to die to your flesh with Jesus is to die to your condemnation and shame. And I love this. When you look back at your life, what do you see? Well, see some failures You have some regrets. I'm sure we all do. We have some shame. All right. There's probably some bright spots in our past as well. But when you look at your past, all you should see is Jesus covering everything. All you see is the face and the body of Jesus and the love of God in your life, the blessing, the the mercy, the grace of God. When you look back, that's all you see because he's covering everything for you. If, in fact, you've said, yes, Lord, you be my God. You be my God. Now, I've I've already mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. There's so many folks that I've talked to, and you've probably heard this, and even said it yourself, said, I'm not that bad of a person. I remember walking up to this guy and trying to tell him about Jesus. I was on fire for God. I was about 19 years old. God had gotten a hold of my life. I was going down to where all the Cars kind of cruise up and down the strip there in, in uh, south of Dallas. And I went up to this one kid, man. I was telling him what, about, Jesus was, what, about what Jesus was doing in my life and how he could forgive him of his sins. And he got super offended. He said, I haven't done anything wrong. Give me a break. And he was like irritated. I haven't done anything wrong. I, I, I haven't sinned. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I, you know, I just let him alone. I'm not going to sit here and argue with a guy. I'll tell you what, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Don't you dare for a second think, well, I'm better than so-and-so, therefore I'm okay. Because that is not true. We need a Savior. Every single one of us needs a Savior. This country needs a Savior. Well, let's read on in Galatians 5. We're getting close to all the benefits, but I want to mention just one more thing here. In Galatians 5 verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. (laughs) What on earth does that mean? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set you free so that you could start being free. And, and the biggest statement here is he didn't set you free to do things. He set you free from things. So many people say, this is a free country. I have my rights. I can blah, blah, blah. I can do. This. You're not free to do You're free from oppression. You're free from a government that's trying to get into every bit of your affairs and telling you what to do and whatnot. You are free from that. You're free from drugs. You're not free to do drugs. (laughs) You're free from drinking excessive alcohol, not to drink excessive alcohol. You get it? It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. That's, the, that's what this is saying. So he says, stand firm then and don't let yourself be go back to the burden and being yoked again in slavery. Come on. God doesn't want that for you. He set you free so that you could stay free. Not so that you would relapse, but if you relapse, God can help you there as well. So once he has set you free from your old self, please don't go back to it. And let me give you some very poignant examples here. If you can't control your drinking and Jesus has set you free from your drinking, don't go back and start socially drinking again. You know what is going to get you down? You've been set free, so stay free. All right? And if you've been set free from pornography, don't go sign up for the same old accounts that got you messed up in the first place. Stay away from it. It's for freedom that God has set you free if Jesus has convinced you of your biological gender and and a pure sexual lifestyle, don't go back to your old friends that are going to pull you back into the same mindset that you had before, all right? If God has freed you from the scars of past abuse, don't go back to that therapist that's going to keep dredging those dumb thoughts back up again. Look back, all you see is Jesus, you're done, let's move forward. Does that make sense? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So, here it is in just like 10 minutes. The the culmination of dying to yourself, the benefits of dying to yourself, the new life that you get to enter into is here at the end of Galatians 5. and I'm going to read it to you. And it's the result of you dying to your old flesh. In verse 13 of of Galatians 5, it says, You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is... He wants you to be set free. Praise God. And he says, so he says, but do not let your freedom, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another in love. All right. So let's just jump right into this. In verse 16, I'm not going to read every single verse here, but in verse 16, starting here, we're going to see five new ways of living, five new ways of living. All right. The first one is this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. All right? You're kind of color coded so that it'll kind of jump out at us. Walk by the Spirit. We're going to talk about that one. It says, so that you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. All right? So remember that one. Verse 17 For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. We all know that. back and forth battle in our thoughts and our minds, especially when it relates to temptation. They are in conflict with one, one another so that you don't do whatever you want. And we've all experienced that. You, I'm, New Year's resolution. I'm going to eat better this, this year. And then two weeks later, later, you're eating worse than you did last year already, all right? We don't do what we want to do, and it's frustrating, all right? That's because the Spirit of God is inside of us, but that old flesh is inside of us, and they're in conflict with one another. In fact, it's like a teeter-totter, okay? You got your flesh, and it's, it's heavy. You have a heavy flesh, all right? Your heavy old self. And it's knocking the old self of you high up to where it has no control. But as Jesus gets control, this flesh gets lighter and lighter, and you get heavier heavier into the things of God, and you outweigh the flesh, all right? And I tell you, once you start gaining some leverage over the flesh, come down hard over here. (laughs) And throw that piece of junk right off the teeter-totter so that you can start winning in life. All right? They're in conflict with one another. In verse 18, it says, but if you were led by the Spirit. So we've talked about walking in the Spirit, or we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit. Now, led by the Spirit, you are not under that law. You're not under the condemnation of the law. Does it mean we still need to keep the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. But now we're doing it with God's help. It's a totally different ballgame. All right. You're led of the Spirit. Then in verse 22, it starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, when you're over here and you start feeling peace, you know you're on the right track. When you have a little spark of joy, you're like, where would that come from? You know you're on the right track. When all of a sudden you have some patience that you didn't used to have, you know you're on the right track. When you have this surge of self-control, go with it. You're on the right track. These are elements of living in the Spirit of God, in the Holy Spirit of God, versus over here, trying to do it on your own. I'll never forget, man. I I told you the other day I have this nagging voice in my head, my whole life. You can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. Give up. You can't do it. About anything. About anything. And I remember this was several years ago. um, I I just have a problem like putting stuff away. Probably drives my, I know it drives my wife crazy, you know. The discipline of taking your clothes, putting them in the drawer, and not leaving a mess everywhere you go. So I had been over here in the flesh trying and trying and trying to do that. One night, 10 o'clock, I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday night, I had been trying to not be in the flesh and start going with God's help. I had this surge inside of me. I I don't know how to describe it, the surge of self-discipline. I got up at 10 o'clock when I should be tired and ready to go to bed or watch TV or whatever, a surge, I started Putting all my stuff up, putting it away, man. I went down to the garage and organized some things. And and you say, Well, well, that's just probably just, you know, yeah, we're having a good name. No, God was changing my life in a very practical way. And he can do it for you in these very practical. These are signs that you're getting out of that side of things and into this side of of working with the help of God, with the power of God in your life, all right? So these are the fruits of the Spirit, and then we go down to verse 24. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh. There it is, one last time, as if we haven't heard this enough in three weeks. They've crucified their flesh with its passions and desires, Since we live by the Spirit, here's the fourth one, live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Five things that are going to happen to you when you die to your flesh and little by little start eking over here. It's not one big quantum leap. It's day by day, week by week, month by month. You start eking over here and getting to the place where you're living in the Spirit of God. Let's look at these five things to finish up. All right. First of all, walking by the Spirit. What does it take to walk or to run a marathon or to accomplish anything of just that perseverance day in, day out? Walk by the Spirit. Anytime in the Bible you see walk by the Spirit, it's talking about living your life day in, day out. The mundane, ordinary life of an individual walking in the Spirit. Well, The Bible is very clear that when you start getting closer to God, he gives you the strength that you need, the strength to walk, the strength to live, the strength to get through those tough, just kind of blah days. All right. He gives you the strength, the power to do that. So to walk in the spirit of God is to walk in the strength and in the power of God tap into his power instead of reaching down deep and saying, oh, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. You know what? Often you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need a greater power than what you have, the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength of the Holy Spirit to get you through every day and keep making the progress that you need to make. So, walking in the Spirit is to walk in God's strength and in His power. The second one is to be led by the Spirit. Okay, here's where I just fall off the horse. I want to lead my own life, I want to make my own decisions, I want to plan my own plans, and I want to execute those plans for myself. And then I want to be proud of myself because I did it myself. Well, life in the Spirit's totally different. Because you want God to get out in front of you. If you're looking in front of you and you don't see God, you're going in the wrong direction. (laughs) All right. If you see, if all you see in front of you is your plans and what you've decided to do, you're already headed in the wrong way. But if you look ahead of you, and I'm not saying with your physical eyes, but you look ahead of you and you say, you know what? God is my leader. I have gotten out of my spiritual car. I'm in the back seat. I've given him the keys, and he's guiding me wherever he's going to go. I am going to stop making my own decisions. And you say, well, how do you do that, though? I mean, how can you, I mean, what if he doesn't do anything? What if he doesn't lead you, whatever? I'll tell you, you give God a chance to lead your life, he is going to lead your life. The Bible says that the steps of a good man, a good woman, are ordered of the Lord. You give God control, he's going to take control. He's going to take control. So be led and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. You do it, God. Yours, your will is better than my will. Your plan's better than my plan. Hey, the Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. I just want God to start leading me. The, the third one is spiritual spiritual fruitfulness. All right? I want to start, instead of having this fruit come out of my mouth of blasphemy and and foul language, and anger, and and pride, and whatever. I want to start having the fruits of the Spirit come out of my life. And people will see them. They will notice them. The fourth one is living by the Spirit. And I love this one. Living by the Spirit. You say, well, what's the difference between living and walking by the Spirit and being led? What is living by the Spirit? Living by the Spirit is where you get your life, where you get your enjoyment, what gives you hope, what sparks a little bit of, of energy in you? Well, it's when you say, my only source is God. I'm not going to get my source from my little secret addictions. You know, if, if I start having a bad day, I'm not going to go shop and put stuff on the credit card. I'm not going to go into the pantry and feed my face. I'm not going to do this. I'm, I am going to get my source from the spirit of God when I'm having a bad day. That's why the Apostle Paul says, he says, rejoice in the Lord Always and again I say rejoice. In other words, I'm going to find a reason to be joyful in God, not in something that feeds my flesh and makes me feel a little bit better. I'm going to live by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to be the source of my hope, of my enjoyment, of my plans. Everything is going to be sourced from the Spirit of God. And let me tell you, all it takes this from experience You lose your job, and you start realizing who your real source is. You lose something that may affect your reputation. You learn where your real source is. You lose your health, and you start realizing where my source is. Your kids grow up and go off to college and you're you're left alone. You learn where your real source is. You get divorced and lose your spouse. You learn where your real source is. I tell you, don't let something bad happen before you learn. I'm living by the Spirit, man. I'm going to get what I need to get from God. Does that make sense? All right. Last but not least keep in step with the Spirit. And I love this one. Of all of these, this one hit me the hardest when I was learning this. By the way, here I'm reading my Bible. was kind of a blah day. I was just doing my own personal devotions. I read these scriptures. And I'm like, this is just dumb. <laughs> I mean, they're the same thing. Walk by the Spirit, be led. And then I decide, you know what? Obviously, they're different words. Obviously, God wants to tell me something. So I need to sit here and concentrate on this and let God talk to me. And I did that. I just slowed way down. I said, all right, God, tell me what this means. What does this mean? And the richness of God's word started filling my soul as I studied this. And I journalized. Don't just read your Bible without a journal. Write down your thoughts as you're reading the Bible, the Word of God. If God's, it's important enough for God to tell you something, it must be enough important enough for you to write it down. Journals aren't just for girls. Journals are for everybody, all right? And I do mine on my computer, but I learned so much from journaling this, and it was a nice 30-minute time when I just read, and, and all of this came to me, but the biggest one that hit me was keep in step with the Spirit. I was like, What on earth is that? What on earth is that? You've showed me with these first four, God, what does this mean? And the Lord just began to show me, it's my keeping step. We're in today's step, not in tomorrow's step, not in next year's step. I'm in today's step. God, what do you want today? There's two types of people in this world, maybe three. The people that live in their past. Oh, I'm terrible! My past is horrible, and all you think is about the past. Past, 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 past. Then there's the people that are the futurists, and this is me, always thinking about the future, always planning, always daydreaming, always. Oh, what's tomorrow? What's and we forget about today, and today's the most important day of the world. <laughs> And when we reach tomorrow, that day will be the most. Stay in the present. Keep in step with the Spirit. The Bible says in uh, Proverbs 37, it says that the Lord busies himself in our every step. He busies himself. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The step you're in, the only place you'll ever see a miracle of God is today. Today. You're not going to see a miracle if you're thinking about tomorrow. You're going to miss the miracles of today. So keep in step with the Spirit. Stay in the present and God's purpose for today. Let's pray.